0: It's worthy of celebration. All the self-proclaimed people pleasers or whatever other habit it is that's keeping you separate from your authentic self, yeah. all of those habits and patterns, again, at one point, I likely have kept you safe. When we turn that spotlight on them compassionately, again, because this is where we can really be critical and judgmental of ourselves. then we gift ourselves with the opportunity to change.
1: Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome to the Kathy Heller podcast. This show is meant to be a guide for you. I want to be that mentor who can hold your hand through this journey. I know that there are so many twists and turns in navigating not only what is happening in our mind, but also understanding strategically how we want to get from where we are to where we want to go. In the show, we're going to talk not only about how we can start to become aware of what are the subconscious things that are holding us back and how we can instead choose thoughts that are actually going to propel us forward. But in addition to changing the landscape internally, we are going to talk about the strategies that actually will help you to build a profitable business, getting paid to be you. Because when you have a business where you do what you love, you never really have to have that sense of work because it's a pleasure, because it's joy. And really, I want you to have the most abundant life. I want you to have the kind of life that you love waking up to every day that you don't feel like you need a vacation from. So together on this show, every single episode, I wanna be your friend, I wanna be your mentor, I wanna show you what is it that I think has really been insightful, been helpful? What are the tools and strategies? What are the mindset shifts that have helped me? And what are the things that have helped my guests to get to where they are How can we together sort of cross this river to the most fulfilling life where we show up and we feel like we are living into our potential and having the most gorgeous, beautiful experience? Because after all, that is what we all desire. We're all craving to have the most joyful, beautiful life. And I really believe that we can design that and that we can experience a life that we just absolutely love. And not only will we enjoy it, but it will be a possibility for other people that will show other people what's there for them. And then maybe together each one of us by being the happiest versions of ourself and being the most fulfilled versions of ourself, we will help other people to reach for that higher branch and to find that in their own life. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the Kathy Heller podcast. We have such a good episode today. Dr. Nicole LaPera is here and we're going to have such a beautiful conversation. I cannot wait to share that with you. Before we dive into that, I just want to remind you, I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear what's on your heart. I would love to hear all the things that are feeling really frustrating and I want to hear how I can help and what are the things that you really are hoping to get out of this year or out of the next few months or out of the next few weeks. If you go to kathyheller.com slash share, you can answer a few questions and I want to hear. I want to hear what's going on. I'm, I'm here to listen. And uh, we will be entering you into a giveaway just for sharing what it is that is going on with you. So go to kathyheller.com slash share. So today I'm excited because as I said, Dr. Nicole LaPera is back. She is a holistic psychologist, New York Times bestselling author, podcast host, and she's a leading voice in psychological self-healing. We had her on the podcast a couple of years ago to talk about her previous book, How to Do the Work. And now she's here to talk about her latest book, How to Meet Yourself, The Workbook for Self-Discovery. This is a book that gives you a practical roadmap for self-healing and uncovering your authentic self and radically transforming your inner world and outer world. I think this is something we could all use so you might want to get yourself a copy. Nicole also has a podcast called The Self-Healer Soundboard, where she and her co-host, Jenna Weekland have these raw, open conversations about their journey of facing their past and becoming their best selves. There's so much wisdom to be excavated from those discussions, so definitely take a listen. It is such a blessing to sit with Nicole. She is one of those people who is so present and so self-aware. I think you're really going to get a lot from the insights that she's going to share. So without further ado, please welcome the remarkable Dr. Nicole Lepera. Nicole, I'm so glad that you're back. You are one of those extremely generous, extremely talented humans. And I just so thank you for doing the work that you do every single day to get this out to people. It's like you fight for people's breakthroughs more than they do for themselves probably. Thank you so much for having me, Kathy.
0: And for those very kind words, I'm honored to be
1: back. (laughs) Um, I said to you before we officially started that not only did people love the first episode you did here, but I feel like every time you go on any podcast, the world just feels this big sigh of like relief. They feel like they've healed just listening to you. So I know that I'm not unique in telling you how just important your work is, but I'm so glad that you're back. And we have so many new things to talk about. You like, don't stop. I don't know actually (laughs) how you do that, but I'm not that surprised because- When you're generating as much wisdom, you have another book, and then you have a podcast and all that stuff. So we're going to talk about the book that you've written since you were here, and we're going to talk about the new podcast. So let's start with the more recent book, which you have behind you, How to Meet (laughs) Yourself, right? And this is a book that is a workbook in self-discovery. Now, I feel like every human being that I'm friends with, that I know, that I come across in my DMs they're all about this, right? This is what they want. They want the breakthrough. They want the up level. And yet, boy, does that feel like it's hard, right? Boy, does it feel like not being a pleaser or choosing our alignment? It just feels like that's a stretch. So tell us a little bit before we even get into the the sort of nooks and crannies of the book, what the hell is this with people where we know That there's more possible for us to feel better, to have healthier relationships. And then we like sabotage ourselves or we stop ourselves from like knowing the scary truths we need to know. Why do we do that? And what is that all about? And then we'll get into like how to change it.
0: Yeah, really, really great questions and a really great place to start. And I like to paint the picture of, for those of you who have ever seen a, a horse walking with blinders on it very much I think that describes the human experience. We're so subjective to our habits and patterns, to how we know ourselves to be, many of us living that particular habitual way for decades, that it's hard to really become conscious of that reality that most of what is creating our daily experience are habits and patterns or an artifact of our conditioning, our earliest experiences, and not who we really are. And as I was writing the first book, um, How to Do the Work, I talk a lot about that, coming to conscious awareness, that all these ideas of who we think we are, aren't really our true self. And it became clear to me that humans, we are blinded, we are subject to ourselves and we do need to know where to look. So the idea even of this workbook of a guide, a deep dive into these concepts, the reality again, that we're all habitual beings um, living more often than not the same habitual patterns, because as a human, We desire that. We're actually wired to prefer the familiar because we believe that the familiar is safer than the possible threat that could be met when we do something new. And So to simply answer your question is we become, I was even giggling as you were kind of introducing me doing all these things, because one of the things that became really clear to me is one of my habits and patterns is to do, to be a doer, to be an overachiever, to wear that identity around me again, for many different factors in my childhood. I imagine we'll probably get into some of those today. Um, And so having a giggle that so much of my journey now is to stay grounded in that more passionate, purposeful, I'm doing it from the heart place, as opposed to I'm just doing it because I can, or because I want people to perceive me as achievement driven as I once had done for a very long time.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. You're, you're singing my song. I mean, I completely (laughs) and totally relate to that and it's really so beautiful and relieving to hear you speak because as you say these things, I become conscious of where I've been unconscious. And I feel like that's what's happening to the listeners. They're like, yes, this makes sense what is familiar, feels safe. There's a part of me that identifies with a thing and an avatar of who I think I am. And I know I'm not that. It's just so powerful. I want to ask you this. I was doing a live workshop. Somebody came to it and she raised her hand and she said, you know, how do you think it's possible? Forget a hundred percent better, but how do you think I could get to a place where, where every day, 60% of the day I felt good? And I just think that alone was fascinating because if you went to a physical doctor, a medical doctor of anatomy, and you said, I would be happy if I felt physically good 60% of the day and 40% of the day, I would totally be okay. If I felt nauseous, had a headache, horrible <laughs> back pain the doctor would say, well, that's not okay. Like we want to get you to feel good all the time. Like if there is a symptom like that, that's a red flag that like, we got to change your diet. We got to change your sleep. Like that, We're not tolerating that. But Nicole, what I think is so fascinating is that people almost don't even believe that there's a possibility that they can feel emotionally good hundred percent of the time. So that's not even a goal. It's like, Oh, that's even possible? I have no idea that I could have a general feeling of well-being. I just don't even believe in it. So let's talk about what is it that's keeping us from feeling even 60% of the day really good? Because I don't think most people, if they're being honest, say, yeah, 40% of the day is a struggle, but 60%, I'm 100% lit. I'm all good. I'm patient. I'm relaxed. I'm in the moment. I'm it's like, no, that's not true. So, what is keeping us from having more well being? And as you were saying, becoming conscious of these like thoughts that are habitual, how can we actually make a difference there so that we can start to break through?
0: Well, I'm pleased, Kathy, even to hear your kind of definition of well being as being a a present grounded being. Because I think one of the things that we do ourselves a disservice is when we have the expectation or when we define. Good as not feeling anything, as being non emotional. And that it just isn't a human reality of experience. We have emotions for a reason. They're what make us feel alive. They're what connect us to the present moment. And oftentimes they're not, they're not pleasant or the more kind of funny positive type emotions like joy. So to define, as you, I think, beautifully did well-being is being a connected presence in our life, which then allows for the variation of emotions that generate the human experience, right? Then I do believe that is something we can strive for, though, to speak to your point, I would imagine that you are not incorrect in that the large majority of us don't feel that we might have. And for a very long time, I would read, I like to describe myself as a, a hippie at heart, where there, if you would ask me, there was two things I was always seeking in life. And one of them was peace. And one of them was this idea of freedom, However, if you were to ask me or experience me and my lived experience, I was 0% of the time peaceful, let alone being able to feel free in terms of the choices I was making, et cetera. So ultimately, I am one of those people who, in terms of grounded presence, being connected to my lived experience, that just wasn't part of my story. And for many of us, that story, or for all of us, that story is written you know, in childhood and what our earliest environments looked like and what resources we had available to us in particular, what emotional resources that our caregivers were allowed or were allotting to us, what presence they had for us. Because again, when we are in childhood we're dependent. We're dependent on the world around us to meet our needs. And when we don't feel safe, when we don't feel able to connect with our emotions that we can not understand that are completely overwhelming in childhood, when we don't physiologically have another nervous system that's in that safe ground, a connected place to help us regulate or to co-regulate, as they call it in the field, we will begin to adapt. We will begin to modify our existence by maybe suppressing our emotions that weren't welcomed or that were shamed or by shifting into different, like you'd even described it, ways of being where we become an avatar because that was the safest way we were able to maintain those earliest connections. So. Important to note is that we're all raised by other humans that were limited by the generations, the context in which they themselves were brought up, were raised, were taught. So, for many different contextual, cultural, systemic reasons, the large majority of us weren't raised by these grounded, peaceful humans who could navigate their emotions and therefore teach us to do the same.
1: Oh, it's so good. I want to say two things first, an observation based on what you just said, and then a question. The observation is, you know, I think about how you, I love how you began when you said, Great, well, let's define that well being is not necessarily, I'm happy every second, <laughs> but rather I'm available to witness what is, right? I have a capacity to be with it because I think about people like the Dalai Lama comes to mind, right? That just image. When I think of like a genuinely happy person and the thing about him, and I'm projecting, I don't know him personally, but what I perceive is not that he's chasing a feeling of joy all the time, but the fact that he's available to sit by the river and be with what is, you could call his feeling well-being because he's not needing something to be different in his environment to feel at peace. He's able to feel sympathy and empathy for the suffering of his people who are in exile. He's not unaware of it. Again, I'm projecting, but this is how it really does seem. (laughs) And yet it seems as though he's not just happy. He's like beyond happy. It's like a, it's such deep peace. And I think you're so right. I think we're such outcome driven humans that it's like, oh, well, the reason I can't find happiness is because my happiness is dependent upon a feeling of joy or this amount of income or this amount of likes. And therefore this thing in my environment won't change. And, and it's like, you're saying No can you learn how to find the resourcefulness and peacefulness of mind mindfulness to allow all feelings to exist and then you know what happens something that looks maybe better than joy right it's like an equanimity and holy smokes i feel like that is something our society does not sell you know so i want to ask you another question i had in mind but before i do that i want to ask you about that what is it about equanimity that is actually sexy and more than having the muscle to be so happy and lit and joyful. What is it about equanimity? What does it take? Because to me, the moments when I've actually ever bumped into equanimity, that is literally freedom. That is what freedom feels like to me. And that feels better than having a certain amount of downloads on my podcast or my husband getting me a gift that feeling of being free that I can find some sense of presence in whatever is happening. Those are my happiest moments, even if they're not happy. So tell us about that and what might be one tool that could allow people to have more of that in their day.
0: I actually am resonating so much with this, Kathy, because I think as I use the term freedom, I don't, I don't even know if I was fully clear on what it was I was defining. And I think you just literally gave the language to it, which is that responsive place of equanimity where life is happening. I'm feeling all about it. I'm present to it and I'm still grounded. I can be present in choice, freedom with what I do next. And, you know, I'm highlighting that because I think the large majority of us aren't living. That responsive, that grounded experience of being with our emotions, right. of living and remaining in choice about what we do next. We're instead living these reactive subconscious patterns, often driven by nervous system dysregulation, that when we, you know, accumulate years of living that way. It is very, and I've lived this journey myself, natural to blame the world around us, to say you cause me to feel this way and in whatever inaction or action you it in my life. And so I hold you responsible, become resentful for you. And ultimately what I'm doing is I'm making myself a victim to what's happening around me. I don't feel in control. I feel the almost complete opposite, a complete lack of freedom. And I want to just pause there. Because so well said. It's really natural to be in that space when we're subconscious to all of this reactivity, because our nervous system is always looking for that next threat. And when we don't feel, when we don't have the ability to create that safety again, because we weren't safe, maybe in our childhood experiences, we didn't have, as I didn't, that attuned caregiver to help our nervous system regulate what we will live instead on the daily until we become conscious to everything that's Happening subconsciously, again, driven by our bodies, first and foremost, is reactivity. We will very naturally feel, and I, seen myself do this, not only in my external environment, where if you did read my first book, you meet me at what I define as my dark night of the soul as having checked, very interestingly, we started this conversation off, checked all of these boxes of achievement, had a partner, was living in a city that I thought I wanted to live in, had the practice that I was seeking to do for so many years, decades, even of my life. And yet I felt this hole, this lack of fulfillment. And instead of understanding that, i was a participant in feeling so disconnected in my life that i wasn't really feeling anything in in terms of my life my emotions at all instead of doing that i you know very much would entertain ideas and i would talk to my partner lolly at the time about leaving leaving the country seeking right? This groundedness, this responsiveness somewhere else. And I had that same pattern in all of my relationships. Prior to Lolly, I would deem, hold you responsible for my lack of happiness, emotional connection, fulfillment in the relationship. And before long, I would leave or the relationship would end. So again, I just want to highlight it's natural when we're driven by our subconscious reactivity, our nervous system dysregulation, where we're not even aware that our body is playing a role as I wasn't. For a very long time, it is very difficult to stand in that presence. And so, when we begin to become a conscious participant, to see all of the ways our body is driving our, all of our behaviors, all of the ways our deeper beliefs, our subconscious patterning is driving our behavior, then over time, we create the space for that responsiveness, that equanimity, and that felt freedom.
1: First of all, you're brilliant. I think the other thing that you are is so generous and humble. And I think the reason that you've had such a giant impact in social media and also with your books. I mean, there are a lot of smart people writing really good books all the time. I think one of the main reasons why your books not only, you know, make a difference for one person, but why people have to share you and you've become viral as a, as a human is because the humility in you, it takes a lot of courage in our society to flag things and say, Oh, wait, let me just call myself out. Right. (laughs) But I think people really value leadership that says, come with me rather than look at me. I can prescribe you all the answers from my ivory tower because I'm not human and I never was. It's like, no, I'm a person who's going through this, which makes me a better candidate to teach you because I know the dark night of the soul. I've lived it. And I totally can relate. I got married 13 years ago. We've moved eight times. We have moved eight times in 13 years There's always this restlessness about, well, if there's a different window to look out of, if 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 there's a different vibration in the backyard, like that must be what I need. We'll move over here. We'll move over there. And like, now we're up in Brentwood. I live over this little bridge. We live in this beautiful home and I'm like, You got to check yourself, Kath, because you've got this amazing thing. And what you really want is the feeling of the lightness of your own being. And that requires you to show up and set down all the ways your nervous system wants to go back into a pattern. And it's beautiful. It really is because that's what we came for, right? Like my greatest satisfaction is actually the moments that are hard because they reveal to me the courage that's actually in me. They reveal to me, what I'm actually capable of. And those are the most satisfying moments, right? Like I remember the first time I interviewed you, I was like intimidated. I was like, this is uncomfortable. My ego has a whole idea about who her (laughs) ego is. And it's like, you should run to do those things, right? Because then you set down all this BS. Let me ask you this question, which is what I was gonna ask you before. I posted this on Instagram yesterday. It's not even my quote. I found it. I gave the woman credit once I found out who she was. And she said, if you avoid the conflict to keep the peace, you start a war inside yourself, okay? Now, why I'm bringing this up to you, uh, the the woman, by the way, somebody told me who wrote this uh, on Instagram, she's at, at coach on call. So shout out to her. I think her name is Cheryl. I say this because I've posted, I don't know, many, many things. That post got like so much fire and I wonder how many human beings have lived their life trying to keep the peace and saying, oh my God, that's correct. There's a war inside myself. Now for me, I posted that because that's been my dark night of the soul. I am wired into being a pleaser. I had a father who was abusive. I, alcoholism, in my family was trying to never be in the middle of the crossfire. Parents got divorced. There was like a lot going on. And I found my way through by not having needs, making sure I'm very pleasant and pleasing and holy crap, what served me then causes me so much pain in my adult life. And if there's tiny little ways that I can ever speak up, I feel like the biggest hero that I could even say, like, I have to get up and go pee. Or like, I once watched myself get a parking ticket because I didn't want to interrupt the person speaking for no reason. Like... You know what I'm saying? So the levels are so deep and there's so much pre-wired conditioning and trauma. So let's say this is our thing. Let's say we would like to choose authenticity so that we don't have this war inside of ourselves. Let's say this is one of the biggies for people. What on earth can we do about this? How can we stop avoiding conflict to keep the peace and create the war in ourselves? How can we stop doing that because it's literally exhausting.
0: I uh, have to say I was giggling with you, not at (laughs) you at that moment, because I can tell you innumerable moments where I have compromised myself, my wants, my needs um, in any given moment for a very similar reason of concern, of pleasing to someone else. So the first step, as I will always say, to create change or to do something differently is to compassionately, objectively, non-critically or non-judgmentally, see where you're at. So all of us can celebrate. If you can hold your hand up and be like, geez, I have these people-pleasing tendencies, that's already a step in creating the change. Because until we can see how, you know what, we are not speaking up when we need to, we are not voicing our emotions or whatever it is. We are showing up, even though I know I have no resources, I'm exhausted, but you need me. So I'm gonna just trudge on through to be there and be present for you. Until we see that we're doing that, we're not going to be able to create change and when i you know hear that that quote that's very beautiful around conflict and actually heard you speaking about these moments of difficulty being learning moments right we have to then be really clear and honest with ourselves of the moments where we're avoiding the difficult conversation the possible Conflict and many of us might have awareness of where it began in our childhood. And you know, maybe it began because there was, you know, explosive chaos outside. My my journey in my childhood looked a little different. And for a long time, I shamed myself out of my own reality, which was there wasn't necessarily explosions in my house, but there was always a stress, a health-related stress, a life-related stress. There was a tension and worry all of the time at an overwhelming level. So to avoid adding this was all in my subconscious mind in my childhood to avoid adding any more stress to an already overstressed system, I saw very clearly not only what I got praised for and connection from my mom who was struggling with her own chronic pain, largely emotionally and physically at times unavailable to me, I learned how to channel myself in a way that was pleasing, to present myself as the perfect child, the perfect athlete, the perfect whatever partner it then translated to. So seeing these patterns is the first step in ultimately changing. And I bring in the idea of conflict and discomfort because one of the things I had to get really honest with myself about was I didn't see moments of challenge as being positive, as being growth or resilient based. Right. I actually avoided them at all costs. I avoided everything from a game or something that I wasn't immediately good at to definitely a difficult emotional conversation, conflict right. Right. with with my partners, I would not go there. And I got really savvy at finding my way and avoiding and even suppressing the fact that, you know what I have to have, I need to have this uncomfortable conversation. So I'm saying that again to say that to celebrate seeing that and being able to be honest. And it didn't come immediately easy as I began to see, and maybe my partners very gently, you know, put the spotlight on, you know, I do walk away from things that are hard. I don't stick through. I have little tolerance For physical discomfort, I have little tolerance for emotional discomfort. And in my opinion, they go hand in hand because in childhood, I never learned that ability to tolerate stress in my body or in my mind. So it's worthy of celebration. All the self-proclaimed people pleasers or whatever other habit it is that's keeping you separate from your authentic self or really just what you really want. What you really want to say, what you really think, yeah. what you really feel, yeah. all of those habits and patterns, again, at one point, I likely have kept you safe, have been how you've been able to maintain safety, your connection in your world and in all your, your relationships. That when we turn that spotlight on them compassionately, again, because this is where we can really be critical and judgmental of ourselves, then we gift ourselves with the opportunity to change. So for me, that meant saying, Nicole, and I still struggle to do hard things, to stay hard things. It's incredibly raw and vulnerable for me to do that, though I have more of a bandwidth. I have more resilience. I have more of an ability to know when I can approach those difficult things, not on a night with no sleep, not when I'm already stressed out over the moon with a million other things, right? right? We want to set ourselves up to do the hard things when we have the resources available. Though having done that now time and time again, I have a bit more confidence that while I might feel like the world is crashing around me and I want to crawl out of my skin, I have a little more of that stress resilience to have hard conversations or to say the hard things or to honor myself, even if it does go against what I imagine the world around me wants for me or what I fear they will perceive of me when I do that thing.
1: It's so beautiful. And I feel like, again, And this is not to flatter you. This is just what's like literally coming to me to say is that it's very generous because I think a lot of people who have come up with some level of answers, they forget to have compassion for people, meeting them where they're at. And I don't think anybody can actually get to the finish line without some level of acceptance around themselves. And so I think it's really important that we see and love that part of us that's like, well, no, that's what helped you survive for a long time. So good for you for even noticing it because it must be painful to even notice it. And then I love that part you just added about, and don't put the pressure on to, to make a new choice when you're exhausted, when you're tired and it's the end of the night. And it's like, give, cause I remember like I would leave a conversation with my stepmom, or I would leave and I'd be like, so mad at myself. Like you can't show up and be authentic. What is wrong with you? And it's like, that's not helpful. Instead, what you're saying is just celebrate the fact that you saw it because there's a, there's a gift in that. And in this new workbook that you have in this new book, you really help us get to finding the authenticity in who we are. And a few months ago, I had a yet another, uh, this happens all the time when I'm available for it, just a painful awareness And the painful awareness came from talking to a friend about something that had just happened with some business colleagues. And she said, wow, this is a really big integrity cleanse for you. Like you just saw where you became the girl in sixth grade who was actually trying to do and please people who you don't even know why you're doing that. And then it kind of comes back to bite you. And this is an integrity cleanse. And I was like, oh my God. Holy smokes. Like I can't believe I can have my ladder so far up the wrong wall that I'm just unconsciously trying to get validation. And then of course, when I don't notice that, and then it actually goes the wrong way, it's because I didn't need it in the first place. And it was so painful to see that. But the reason I bring it up is because the amount of integrity. That I was able to uncover in what really is freedom. I was like, wait, these people, I don't, they're not my boss. I don't work for them. I don't need their approval. Oh my God. Like I can unfollow a bunch of people today. I don't have to win any races. I don't have to be getting the vote from anybody. I can just choose integrity. Holy crap. So that's an experience I had recently with finding my way back to what is actually authentic. And in order to do that, I had to see something that I didn't like that I was doing. And it was really painful to see a girl who's doing that. I'm like, oh, who does that? You know? So when it comes to finding our authentic self, first of all, what do you really mean by that? And what's a good start to maybe having the rest of today be authentically a match for
0: who we are? really really I appreciate um, you sharing that experience and I'm relating on so many levels, um, particularly you know really having to hold myself responsible for the moments when I'm engaging with things that are stressful with misinterpretations and I have a lot of those moments and again all of this comes back from, the wiring of my childhood, the reality that I'm used to right? having a stressful experience. I'm used to my body being tense. I'm used to always having something to worry about. I'm used to always fearing what someone will think of me. So I don't speak. And now that I've challenged myself to speak my truth, my authenticity, my, my journey in so many ways, I have objective realities of people who have misinterpreted, who have taken it to mean, or who have their own opinions on it. And the brutal honest conversation I have to have with myself. Oftentimes when I'm sharing with my partner, how upset I am by what I'm reading online is that Nicole, you went there, you went there as part of your old habit. You know where to look. It's not lost on me where all of the mean, terrible, you know, upsetting misrepresentations of myself and my work are. I, for whatever reason, in that moment, hit scroll, looked and upset myself. And that's the responsibility that I need to take daily. And I'm leading in with, to answer your question of authentic self and very intentionally, the workbook is broken up into four different sections. And the section that I'm imagining most people want to dive into when they buy a workbook entitled how to meet yourself with the idea of being your authentic self is not until section four. Section four really explores ideas like creativity, purpose, passion, interest, those deeper desires that I think are very representative of to define authentic self, though to get there. And the reason why I'm calling out my own habit is we have to understand our habitual ways we're tending to our body, to our nervous system in particular. For me, it was being aware that my nervous system is often dysregulated, is wired towards stress. I have then The next section you'll meet is all about my mental world. I have all of these fears and worries and narratives about being this perfect person and concerns, and that translates into my people-pleasing habits that are cluttering my mental world. So until we become conscious that we have habits through a practice of daily consciousness, and you'll meet all of those in the workbook, until then we turn the focus on being conscious of our body and how much. We can't white knuckle those of us who have tried with the affirmations, our mind to change the way our physiological body, our nervous system is reacting, is interpreting the world around us. So then we want to turn that focus, peel back that next layer, see all of the ways that our body is dysregulated, see all of the ways that our stories, those filters, me looking for the stressful thing to mirror how my body is feeling tense, right? Is creating that disconnection from the self so that then we can peel back all of that onion by first discovering consciously and witnessing who we aren't. And then we are met with who we really are. What are the deepest ones? What are the thoughts? What are my beliefs? What is my passion and my purpose? And if you would have asked me or when I met those concepts, passion, purpose were great ideas about a decade ago for me. Not anything I thought I had. I thought that genetic chip, passed me by and it yeah. wasn't that it passed me by or anyone else who doesn't feel purposeful or creative or passionate about things likely the the reason is you're disconnected you don't feel safe enough right safety right. begins in our body when we're focused on survival when our body is perceiving a threat at every turn purpose, passion, creativity, that's last on my (laughs) priority list. So again, it becomes a unpeeling or a peeling of the onion and unveiling to create the safety and the space to then begin to explore and reconnect with those deeper desires of authenticity.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And it is interesting how we want to jump to the production. We want to jump to the bearing of the pear on the tree. And it's like, first they need the roots and we need to make sure it's in the right earth and it's got <laughs> sunlight. And it's like, well, wait, wait, just get me to the goal. And there's definitely so much in the first three parts of the book. I want to ask you this question because it was, again, very generous of you to give us an actual example in your own life where you got stuck, right? Where you read something someone said and you're back in your suffering. And it's like, I love how you said, I knew better. And like, I went there. Here's my thing for you. Here's my question after speaking with thousands and thousands of people, what I see as a pattern in myself and in other people really boils down to codependency. Okay. And it's fascinating because I remember hearing about codependency. I think when I was like 15, my mom, my parents were divorced. My mom was reading Melanie Beattie's book about letting go. (laughs) And I was like, you're codependent. I'm not like, I don't need anyone. I am not actually the opposite of that. Then I realized that codependency could for sure be people-pleasing, right? It's like, I might be independent, but boy, do I need to know how you are and I need you to be okay. And like, that's for sure codependent. So what's fascinating is that all these problems that I see that people have kind of boil down to, it's not a business problem. It's not a currency problem. It's just codependency. And recently my friend Susie Moore said to me, because somebody said something really rude to me. Oh my God, can you believe it? Somebody said something really rude about me online. They actually made a video about me where they were like, just trashing everything I say. She's so positive and so fake. It's it's just trashing me. And I watched the whole thing like an idiot and I talked to her about it. And she said, it's not a problem that that happens. It's a problem that you think it shouldn't happen. And now you're defining yourself by it. That's the problem. I was like, bingo. So what I've come to realize, and I want to hear your take on it, is that every human being they don't even see what is. They see what they're available to see, right? Like you could be sitting with somebody on the same bench in Central Park and you both see totally different things. You could set up your girlfriend with some guy and you think he's like the sweetest guy in the world. And she's coming in with momentum around three guys who are total douchebags. And she's like, no, he's a doctor. That means he's a narcissist. I mean, I'm making this up obviously, but like We have to understand that people don't even see you. They don't see what you are. They see what they are willing to see. And it's just like our need to want to control what people see and how they interpret things has got to go. And I'm wondering... If you could speak more about that, because I do feel like if we wanted to get to the heart of the heart of it, this is the thing that derails people more than anything is wanting and needing people to like us and think about us in a way that we prescribe. And there's no control you have over that. And you have to let that go. And it feels totally off to tell yourself to let that go when that's all you need and want. So can you say more about what you think when that girl wrote that thing about you or whoever the hell wrote that thing about you? how you actually go to sleep at night when there's all kinds of things that people will say about
0: you. I think I want to acknowledge your very wise words, Kathy, and acknowledging the reality of how subjective we are, how two humans can literally live the same experience and be filtering it differently through our past, through our childhoods quite often. And then seeing, feeling, reacting responding in a completely different way. And I'm right. highlighting that because so many of us desire and believed believe control this false idea that everyone, or there's some objective reality that we can all agree on. And again, I do think that that is, and I'm going to get to the answer of the question. That's a desiring of control, right? If we can say, oh, well, the science said this, or, you know, if I surveyed four people and three <laughs> out of four of them said this, then I can be affirmed that what I'm seeing is real. What I'm more or less looking to do is Trust myself. And self trust needs to begin now wrapping in this concept of codependency with a space for ourselves, for us to explore ourselves, our ideas, our emotions are ways of navigating the world. And over time, developing that affirmation that, yeah, how I see things is how I see things. And I can trust what I think I want. I can trust what my feelings are telling me because I've lived the experience of having space to be curious, to explore. All of this is hypothetically what childhood is about, a safe container to be separate from our parents. The large majority of us have lived, and i Couldn't agree with you more that at the root for the majority of us is That lack of self, that lack of self-trust, that lack of self entirely because we were merged with the environments around us, with the caregivers around us. We became an extension, again, of no ill intent, often of no conscious intent by the caregivers around us. But we didn't have that safe container for difference to explore with curiosity what makes us us to go out and to navigate the world and sometimes to fall down and have that safe space to get back up, thereby then developing the trust in ourselves. So when we don't have that, as I definitely did it myself, and I didn't even have language of codependency. I went through a whole training program, and I would have never met those concepts and and attached them to me or to my family. And I've come to realize we were so merged with each other that there was no separation. The whole climate revolved around whether or not what degree of stress The family was under, there was no room for difference in thoughts, difference in opinions, definitely not difference in feelings. So again, because we don't, we didn't have that lived experience of first exploring who we are, what makes me different and separate and yet still in safe connection with those around me. And then I didn't have the experience of being able to develop security and trust in myself, in my intuition, in the way I view the world, we continue to control, whether it's our partners, whether it's perceptions around us, whether it's grasping for this idea of this objective reality that we can all agree on, because really what we're saying is I don't trust me. I need some reflection back. So applying this again, I need people on the internet to tell me that I'm just as good as I think I am, or that I, I have my heart in the right place. So Again, it's not an easy fix. It's seeing all of the moments where we're outsourcing, where we're looking to other people, even becoming aware for me that I had no boundaries. I was codependent. I did rely on everyone being happy with me, which is impossible. Everyone agreeing with me, which is impossible to feel good about myself and to live in trust. And as I've been talking about all through this journey, reconnecting with myself, my emotions, allowing them to have space, beginning to speak my truth, tolerating the discomfort of that. Now, how I sleep at night is I try to limit especially when I don't have the resources, how much I engage with those stressful misinterpretations. And I try to always drop back into my conscious self, my heart, what the truth and the reality is for me. And I've gained enough self-trust now that while it is distressing and upsetting in the moments where I'm engaging with it, I don't allow it to destabilize me. I don't allow it to determine what I'm going to do next. And of course, this doesn't apply to those closest to me, my loved ones who, when I trust you and you have interaction with me and you might offer me a vantage point that I don't want to see for myself, some of those moments and those interpretations, I will very begrudgingly choose to let in because there's truth in them, right? Going back full circle, we're blinded. Sometimes our relationships with our trusted loved ones can offer a vantage point that we might not want to see or accept right now, but could be helpful ultimately for our continued evolution.
1: Yeah. And I love the balance of that because there is always the middle path. Right. And I think so often we live in this extreme of definitely not trusting ourselves and caring so much what people think. And then at the same time, it's like, if you can have grace and love for yourself, you could look at what other people are experiencing who love you and know you, who you trust. There's probably a gift in there, right? It's interesting because I don't know why I thought of this example, but I was thinking about Larry David because I really love Curb Your Enthusiasm. And it's one of those things where like you could be the most delicious Japanese food or you could be Curb Your Enthusiasm and it doesn't matter. There are people who will never like sushi. There are people who will never like that show. In fact, I know some people who say, how can you watch it? It makes me so uncomfortable. But the reason I bring that up is because... What makes something good in the end is not that everybody likes it. It's that there's something about it where the person who's behind it put a flag in the ground and said, this is just me, right? And Curb, I think, is a good example because he is so himself. And yeah, some people can't stand it. But part of the reason maybe sometimes people like it, like I also love watching Billy on the street because I know he's kind of joking, but I love how he just like yells at people because he says and does things, I wish I had the courage to sometimes say out loud, right? So does Larry David. Sometimes I'm like, why are they being hard on him? That's totally fine. Like, I wish I could do that. I wish I could leave earlier. I wish I could say like, no, or you're talking too close or whatever. And he says it, right? And I, I guess that I say that because I think it's a good example of like, trusting yourself. Is so beautiful because even if right somebody doesn't like your show or your book or the food you're serving, there's something clean about it, right? Where the person feels actually good about you because even if they're never going to watch your show or buy your food, they kind of feel like, I like the fact that you don't need me. I like the fact that you're not needy and that you're looking for my approval. And I can feel like whatever I've actually done in my life that's worked, whether it was this podcast or anything that I've done that's actually resonated with people. It's usually when I've just decided I'm all in. If you're not, that's okay. And I don't need you to like it. And then people feel this like cleanness of like, they now have autonomy. They get to choose and I'm okay with them making a choice. And that's the best feeling. So I love that. I want to ask you a question. I want to talk about your podcast. Okay. You started a podcast since you were last year, Self Healers Soundboard. Why did you decide that the art of having conversations now about this would be even potentially an additional thing that would be helpful in addition to books. Like what is it about podcasting that you decided this is worth my time? Cause you've already had multiple best-selling books. So why, why podcast form?
0: Yeah. So I want to kind of actually piggyback and make a comment about what you were beautifully sharing. Um, couldn't agree more in terms of our authenticity. And I think what you're describing is when someone's in their, their zone, their flow, just being themselves, serving whatever it is, saying whatever it is that aligns with them you feel that it does translate differently because the underlying pull or unconscious pull of neediness to use your word or the desire to be presented or seen in some way is a felt energy. You can feel the difference when someone's like I'm being me and you can take it or leave it, or I'm being me, but I kind of want you to think this. It's a energetic shift that I think, you know, kind of happens. And what we're, I think both beautifully describing here is the, Ideal way of relationships, of human connection, of how we survived as a species or thrived as a species is to be interdependent, to allow the space to be our own unique puzzle piece, to be, you know, who we are in that flow state with all of our given talents, our quirks, our idiosyncrasies or whatever it is, and allowing everyone to be in that pure state of energetic Because then together, we literally come together as a cohesive, cooperative whole where no one's pulling or vying for anything from someone else or for anything external that if I have it, you don't have it. We all then I think are in an energetic symphony in a sense. So then to answer your question about the podcast speaking having conversations that is one of my zones of, of flow i when i'm having conversations with someone like you with my co-host jenna i'm just in the moment i'm talking about things that i'm interested in talking about i'm sharing authentically about my own journey because that's very much the intention of the soundboard podcast is while we will talk about, you know, concepts and we're always desiring to give practical tools to break down understanding of these concepts and to give listeners, you know, free of charge, a resource, a thing to do to action on that. We are very much using that space to explore our own unique journeys. Again, going back to something you beautifully noted earlier, we are not, my goal for people isn't to find that one guru whose story resonates completely because I don't think that exists. That's why Jen and I are co-hosting it. We come from two different backgrounds and experiences. In many many ways, we view life differently, and it's in hearing our stories. We are constantly urging listeners of the podcast, and they're very engaged, whether it's on our YouTube channel or on our Instagram account, leaving comments, leaving their Journeys that are very different. We translate that in the self-healer circle, the membership. It's very community-driven, community-led. It's not just me on a pulpit saying this is my journey, because I'm definitely not going to resonate with everyone. You're not going to have lived the same experiences. So the more in conversation we are with the more conversations and stories and journeys, I think is of incredible value to creating that beautiful fabric. So it was translating into again the written, they're spoken from written to speaking giving us the opportunity to explore our journeys and to interact with the community in a ongoing conversation that's very much how we frame it and how we feel about it.
1: Well, I love that and having had now two conversations with you, I do feel like even if it's possible to say even more than your books being effective, I feel like just you as a speaker, you're just so great with language and communication and it's in the resonance of your energy. So I love that you are speaking and having a place where people can con- continuously hear you just in that flow. I have sort of a loaded question to ask you. I was thinking about it actually this morning and here's what it is. You know, there's been so many good examples of people who've put out beautiful, helpful things, right? Whether it's Wayne Dyer or Ramdas or Byron Katie or you, And what my question is, it's, it's two parts. The first part of the question is what in the actual hell that people can literally read all the books, right? They can quote you the four agreements. They can go into their best Esther Hicks invitation. They know the things they've got James Clear tabbed, um, right? And they don't change. I find that like, what is that? That is so fascinating, and then my second part of that question is what keeps you motivated to do this work when you know that the majority of people who read your book don't necessarily wind up with where you wanted them to be. I find it like maddening because I do this work, right? We've had people like you on my show, Deepak Chopra on my show. We've done 700 episodes, right? I get the same emails from the same people with this and I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna stop because I love it, right? I love it. And we definitely get thousands and thousands of letters saying like, holy smokes, I'm literally blown away. And then I look and I'm like, okay, Eckhart Tolle has said this before. She's said this before, right? Brene Brown has said this before. So I'm asking you these two questions. Why for the majority of people, do they still not have the breakthrough? And what keeps you doing the work when you're aware of that? Like statistically and like real, realistically, those are my loaded questions for you.
0: I appreciate them. I think they're really, really great questions, Kathy. And ultimately change is challenging. I mean, it ties everything together that we're talking about challenging to our physiological, you know, the wiring in our nervous systems, challenging to the deep root of beliefs. It's so many of us have been filtering through life daily. And this was one of the main things that led me to question the traditional way that I was practicing when I had the private practice in Philadelphia, doing the more standard talk therapy, right. though. I always tried to gear it on mindfulness-based, giving people tools of action. Yet week after week, it was, again, I, I, I have all of this insight, right? And I can't change, was essentially what drove me to seek to understand, because I saw the same thing in myself. I was in all the types of therapies. I mean, I was getting ready to train to be a psychoanalyst for seven more years, to lay on a couch, to really deep dive into my psyche, to understand. Similarly, when I think about people who write books, who read books, who can quote all of the different books, right? We're in a different part of our mind. We're in a thinking mind. We're in an analyzing mind. We're not in the conscious presence of our entire being, which again, includes our body. So when we begin to actualize into creating change, that's incredibly uncomfortable to become conscious to the reality that our body is playing a role, that we might need to begin to do things differently. And we all have that subconscious pull that we talked about in the beginning to not do that, to stay in those familiar habits and patterns, because this is how I feel like myself, because I'm so afraid of what could come next. I don't even know who I am. Without these habits and patterns. So we continue to intellectualize, to conceptualize, to self-analyze, and some of us getting really frustrated and maybe even shameful when we can't translate that into action, which is why you'll always hear me when I break down transformation, change, doing things differently, feeling differently into two steps. It'll be become conscious, learn how to shift from that overanalyzing. I think a lot of us misconstrue that or we misdefine consciousness as self-analyzing, wondering where this came from, picking ourselves apart. That's not consciousness. It's noticing that I'm having a thought. That's a state of consciousness. So witnessing all of the habits and patterns that are creating our world and then creating change. And again, emphasizing the choices to create change being small, consistent ones every day, because the more new we try to do, we read the book. We try to have a new action plan with five new things I'm going to do starting tomorrow. I mean, we all just passed the new year when we love to revamp life in a 360 degree turn. And again, we're going to continue to challenge that desire for the familiar, that pull right back into the habits and patterns that for our whole life, we've believed have kept us safe. So now it's becoming conscious and stringing together small choices that we can remain consistent on. That's what truly creates change. So to answer your question, we're not doing that. We're overanalyzing, we're in our thinking mind. If we do drop down to our body, it's very uncomfortable because of all of the emotions that we've stored in there and we have to now experiment with new ways of being and walking into the uncertainty of the unknown no thank you i'd rather just stay stuck i'd rather stay in the habits and patterns that you know i'm most familiar with i'm more comfortable here than walking into the unknown
1: oh it's so helpful to hear you break that down i feel like everybody got so much out of this whole conversation but that part Because you just called out, it's it's kind of like Seth Godin, who's a mentor of mine. He wrote a bunch of great books, but one book he wrote, it's this tiny little book. It's only 75 pages. And his publisher said, I don't even want to publish this. It's like a pamphlet. He's like, (laughs) I've given you bestsellers, just put it out. And it's called The Dip. And the reason I love it is similar to what you just did, where he just anticipates for you, like you're going to hit a dip. Like you can read all my other books, but here's what's also true. This is happening. What are you going to do to be aware and anticipate it? Because that's how you'll have a better result is if you know your tendency is going to be back in the familiar, right? And it's so good to just call it out because then from the outset, we're not going in unexpected. There's all, all of a sudden we're like, why did I get off course? It's like, no, this is the way you're wired. So when you've looked at the people who were coming to you for therapy or the people who've, who've read your books, who've been in your community or the people who are in your membership, who do seem to break through, I know that there's different ways of measuring why people are successful with goals, right? In your lived experience, if you're thinking just quickly about the people who you have seen, be able to conquer what you were just saying, get conscious, go into the unknown, make a new behavioral change and get a different result. What do you think they all have in common? What do you think allowed them
0: to do that? I think this might be counterintuitive to the listeners, but it's actually those setbacks. It's becoming conscious and aware when we're not continuing with the habits and patterns that we've intended to and making the resolve and the commitment in those moments to return to those. Because very beautifully, what we're talking about here again is rebuilding or that strengthening, that self-trust muscle. Because I'll be honest, I have many habits that I know benefit me, help me feel grounded, present, equanimity, like we were talking about in that responsive place of you know passion and purpose and slow. And I'll be perfectly honest, I don't do them consistently. There's been many moments I was sick over the holidays and I spent weeks away from my more physical habits of moving my body, which again, for me is helpful in regulating my nervous system and yep. keeping me in that ground at present place. However, what is different now is I've fallen off my habits a million times since I started creating them, however many years ago it was now. And I become conscious of when I'm not making the choice to do them. I give myself grace and compassion, even if the reason isn't quote unquote good enough or, you know, I don't deem it worthy enough of a reason. It's the choice I've made in that moment. And then I give myself the opportunity in every new moment to make a different choice and having fallen off my habits and return to them, not because someone told me, because I've been in my body. I feel different. I feel less agitated. I feel more grounded. I'm able to more enter that flow state that for me is indicative of me being in that heart centered, you know, authentic self space to use myself, as one of my partners, Jen always says, as my own proof. So now I've fallen off and I trust myself. So when I, over the holidays, as recently as it was, and I wasn't doing all the things that I know, you know, helped me stay grounded. And as a result, I was agitated. I was reactive in moments that I wouldn't have been. I was probably scrolling on those pages that I talked about earlier that I shouldn't have been, or that I know only increased my stress. I now trust myself and I trusted myself To return. And since then, I have returned. So I think to answer your question, that's the difference is remaining present to all of the choices that we're making, even if they aren't ideal, aligned with our intentional future self, whatever it is that we might want that to be. Because even in those moments of, I would even challenge calling them setbacks, I would call them the choices we made in those moments. What we're doing un- unconsciously is we're rebuilding that trust muscle, that intuition, that ability for me to discern right? the moments when, you know what, I do need to just stop and not do the things that I intend to do. And the moments where I can push myself through a little bit of the discomfort of wanting to stop, knowing though that I have the resources to do differently. That's our journey is to discern essentially what works for us. And I believe they're built and that's what the difference is between those, those groups is we've stayed present enough to ourself and our journey to allow ourselves to make those conscious choices at each moment as, or as frequently, because that again is unrealistic as possible.
1: Beautiful. Mm -hmm. My last question for you before we end, you know, so many people who listen to the show speaking about purpose, right? Not only want to become conscious and more aware and have equanimity, but once they have that, they would like to be giving to the world, right? They would like to feel that they're in their own sense of flow. And I want to ask you a question from the standpoint of a content creator, of a person who's created a beautiful empire out of doing things that make you feel alive, right? I don't really look at your work as a job. I kind of see it as an extension of you being in alignment. And I think that that's like really a dream for people that they wouldn't have a job to go to every day, but they would be in alignment. And I'm curious about what you would say when I ask you if you had to look at what you would guess over the years allowed your content, whether it was your Instagram posts or your books or your, the things that you've monetized where you can actually help people, whether it was one-on-one sessions or memberships. If you had a look at the things that you offer and you had a guess why you think those might land more than maybe somebody whose things are not landing What is one thing about showing up in service that you think actually makes the content digestible or shareable or allows for you to build this beautiful business out of the business of your work, right? I'm just curious from that standpoint as an entrepreneur, which you very much are such a successful entrepreneur, what you think is part of what's allowed that success?
0: I think it's probably two things. The first one being, I imagine at this point in the conversation, it won't be of surprise is being authentic, speaking my truth. Because if I'm, again, being perfectly honest, when I began, when I created that Instagram account, however many years ago it was now, there was a filter. There was that worry of what will my colleagues think? What will this person think? What will this great, all of this kind of vetting or removing myself from what I thought and what I wanted to say and what I, or has been helpful for me on my journey. So, it has been, and to speak to your point, I don't necessarily feel at all like this is a job. I actually often question, like ask myself, like, will there come a time where you're done? Like, what will you do? And I think my true answer at this moment is no. I love thinking about ideas. I love communicating, learning new ideas and then communicating them through my very unique filter, understanding again that back to the point we're talking about, it might not be for everyone, but Mm -hmm. my authenticity, my journey is for me and it feels good. It allows me to live in that purpose. Um, It doesn't feel like a job. So authenticity, and it continues to be an evolution. And also listening to one of the major things that I was interested in creating, not only as a platform for me to share my journey, which is why I created the account, was to connect with other people, was to build the community. Mm-hmm. So listening, I have a, a running joke um, with my partner, Lolly, who likes to tease me that coming from a very academic system, writing a dissertation, being in school for so long that I liked to, when we first met and when I first started to talk to her about these concepts, I would talk what she called Shakespearean, <laughs> not understandable. Like you would read in a book and you wouldn't really know what, what I'm <laughs> saying. And it would be this like essay esoteric idea, but what do you really mean for the common person? How do I see this in my life? How can I apply this to create change? And again, because that's so much in my purpose and passion is to teach you information that you, whoever you might be, can understand and Mm -hmm. use, implement in your life. I do have to, and I did become aware of how people are listening, what it is you get from languaging a post in this way or or sharing content in this way. So it continues to be a work in progress of saying my truth in a way that is understandable for the most of people. Because one of the things I was met with in creating that account is I wasn't just talking to people in Philadelphia where I was living the community was international. It was global. It was of humans who English was not their first language of, you know, not even having access to some of these tools, these ideas, let alone these helping professionals. So I became very passionate about making sure that I wasn't just talking to one group of people, um, that I was Breaking that habit of talking Shakespearean and talking in a way that the most people could understand so that they could gain benefit. So staying in our authentic truth to keep the question simplified and also listening, listening to how that truth is landing. Because we have to remember when we're in a, a business, we want to, you know, share our service. We want to do service to the world is that. Serving other people. So, how it's landing and what use they're making of, whatever it is that you want to serve, or however it is that you want to serve, is just as much a part of the journey. So, it becomes a kind of interactive dance between how can I say what's on my heart in a way that's understandable and can be utilized by you?
1: I love that so much. It's so beautiful and such a great place to end because, as Seth Godin, who I mentioned before, said to me, business at its best, at its finest, is radical empathy. Right. Because a lot of people will say, well, I don't want to sell out. I want to be authentic. And what you're saying is, we're only really talking about authenticity here. And at the same time, this interdependent concept, which means, I am speaking to somebody else who I want to serve. So to understand the way they think and the way they talk, ultimately I need to meet them where they are, right? Because I'm not going to teach a class of kindergartners something the way I would teach a college grad something, or the way I would teach my mother versus the way I would teach somebody who doesn't speak English at all. It's like just understanding who your audience is doesn't make you less authentic. It actually just makes you more productive in being who you are and getting it across so that they can hear you. And I think that that's a lost art. I think that it's either I'm going to be who I am and then not having understanding that you get to be even more who you are when you know how to speak in a way where people actually can digest it. So I love that very much. I want you to tell everybody where they can get the book and where they can listen to the podcast. And we'll put all the links in the show notes as
0: well. I appreciate that. Um, so the book is now available by most major retailers or whatever it is that you like to buy books. You can give a search and hopefully it's there. We're waiting to hear on international translation. So fingers crossed that it can be like how to do the work was in translate it in a, a point of this conversation of communication <laughs> in as many languages as possible. The podcast is on all of the podcast platforms, as well as we have it housed on our own YouTube channel, Self Healer Soundboard, where you can see a visual of the podcast filming every week. And you can also engage with the community, drop comments. There is an Instagram account created for the podcast page as well. Self Healer Soundboard is the name on that platform, on the YouTube platform. At this point, The Holistic Psychologist is across all platforms. So however you consume content, whether it's TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, at this point, you can give a search The Holistic Psychologist and find me there.
1: You are such a gift, your humility and your kindness and how much love you have just like pours through you. It's probably the most impressive thing about you is how loving you are. And I so appreciate these conversations. It's amazing to me that you do this and that this content is free all the time, that you just like give this away because you can get more out of listening to you speak for a few minutes than you could out of trying something for three years. So I really appreciate you. And I think everybody else does as well. And and I'm so glad that you came back.
0: Oh, of course. Thank you, Kathy, so much for having me. Um, thank you for what you do for having these conversations. And thank you for all of you listening. Like I say, this is in my opinion, how the world changes is by people gathering together in communication, Mm -hmm. hearing new information, being open to it, taking what resonates with you and really participating in this beautiful journey of life. So I'm so grateful for you and for all of you listening for taking the time and presence with me today.
1: Thank you, Dr. Nicole. You're the best. I appreciate you so much. Thank Thank you. you. I love talking to her. She's such a wealth of knowledge. Okay, here are the takeaways. Number one, well-being means being a present and grounded being. When you're a connected presence in your own life, it allows for the variation of emotions that generate the human experience. Number two, become a conscious participant. See all of the ways your body and subconscious patterns are driving your behaviors, deeper beliefs. And over time, you're going to create the space for that responsiveness, that equanimity, and that felt freedom. Number three, give compassion to the unwanted habits and patterns that have kept you safe. When you celebrate them, you give yourself the opportunity to change. Number four, we live in an energetic symphony. We have thrived as a species through interdependence and allowing the space to be our own unique puzzle piece, to be who we are in that flow state with all of our given talents, our quirks, our idiosyncrasies, and allowing everyone to be in that pure state of energetic flow. Number five, challenge that desire for the familiar that will pull you right back into the habits and patterns. Becoming conscious and consistently stringing together the small choices is what truly creates change. Number six, give yourself grace even if you don't think the reason is good enough. Give yourself the opportunity in every new moment to make a different choice. Even when you're falling off, you now trust yourself to return. Number seven, stay in your authentic truth. Listen to how that truth is landing. Your authenticity, your journey is for you, and it feels good. It allows you to live in that purpose. Number eight, the world changes by people gathering together in communication, hearing new information, being open to it, taking what resonates with you, and really participating in this beautiful journey of life. If I could thank you a million times for listening, I would. So, thank you. This show wouldn't be anything without you. There are so many good episodes that are coming up. So, please make sure that you follow us on Spotify or you subscribe on Apple Podcasts because we don't want you to miss out on anything. And I'd really love to hear how you are and what's going on and what are your dreams and what are your wishes and what are your struggles. If you go to slash share, you can fill out a form and you'll be entered to win in this giveaway we're doing. Not only will you be helping me to help you, but you will be eligible for something really fun. And if you know someone who you think would appreciate the podcast, please go ahead and send a link or post about it on your Instagram. And if you want, you can tag Dr. Nicole. She's at the.holistic.psychologist. And you could also tag me at kathy.heller if you post about it. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song. I'll talk to you soon. Look at that girl. She's lighting up the
2: world. She'll be a hologram to earn their love. People wait in line. See the way she shines If she wasn't perfect Would it be enough Now The sky's on fire i She goes, another Mona Lisa. They all come to see her. Everybody's looking for a hero. Free, ready, set free. One two three, ready 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 set free. One, two,